So all these tall people. The world is, nah, no, they're just too tall. There seems to be technical difficulties. Oh, that's a little better, right? The difficulty is that I am a silly person and do not know how to put a microphone on my head. So Tom is going to come up here and fix me, and you're going to pretend that nothing is happening. Good morning. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so, it is really good to see you guys this morning. That's much better. Thank you for fixing me on this beautiful spring morning. How many of you had like 10,000 feet of ice on your car? Man. I woke up this morning and it was an exercise in trying to become more like Jesus because I was not happy. You know, it's bad enough with the snow, right? So you get the snow off, you're like, all right, get the... Then there's this chunk of ice and you... You're taking the chunk off and like the whole neighborhood can hear it. Like it echoes. It's incredible. I felt, couldn't believe it. So today we're going to talk, we're going to finish our series about the story. And we're going to talk about how it will never end. And, you know, people get some really funny ideas when they talk about this subject, right? We, uh, what do you think of when you think of forever heaven? Heaven. Like, what do you think of? Go ahead. You can shout stuff out. It could be silly. It could be amazing. It could be spiritual. Constant worship. Streets of gold. Friends of God. Peace. No pain, no suffering, right? How many of you, when you were growing up, had these cartoons, you know, you'd watch like Tom and Jerry or cartoons like that. I I love Tom and Jerry, actually. I was always rooting for the mouse, thought it was the greatest thing ever. You'll notice whenever one of these cartoon characters died, you know, they always came back in the next cartoon episode, but like whenever they died, right, they would go up to heaven, right? And they would have like a white robe and some wings and they would have their harp, right? And their halo on their head. Right. And I always, as I got older and I started to understand the Christian view of heaven, I thought, wow, where did we get that stuff from? Because it's not there. It's so funny. We, uh, you'll hear people say when people die, when people pass away, and you'll hear people say things like, oh, God, God, God needed another angel. Like, No. That's not what happened. That person didn't die because God needed another angel. That person died because Adam sinned. And we are still dealing with the consequences of that. However, and this is the beauty of the gospel, that person won't stay dead. See, the gospel doesn't just promise life after death. It actually assumes there's just a life after death. If you go through the Bible, the Bible doesn't ever speculate, hmm, I wonder if there's a life after death. It just assumes that there is. 
what the Bible teaches is life after life after death. I know, just take that, take that in. I'll say it again. The Bible promises life after life after death. When Jesus is walking around, lots of people believed in resurrection. But not resurrection, what happened to Jesus in the middle of history. They believed in resurrection at the end of time. Okay? If you guys go to, uh, when you have a minute, you can jump to John chapter 11 when Jesus asks Mary, hey, I'm sorry, not Mary, he's talking to Martha. He goes, hey, do you believe that your brother will rise again? And Martha says, well, yeah, I do. At the end of the world, when God judges the living and the dead. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. So, people have believed that this might happen. The promise, the prototype of that, was the resurrection. See, Jesus... In the West, we have a tendency to take the cross and turn it into a way to get to heaven. Now, before you stone me or anything, just hear me out, okay? We have a tendency to turn the cross into a way to get to heaven. Just another way. But you see, the cross is much bigger than this. Because the cross and the burial and the empty tomb are about the renewal of creation. They're about new creation. They're about the renewal of humanity. They're about the defeat of death. It's not only so you and I can go to heaven. And we're going to talk a little more about that because heaven is not our final hope. We just read it. In Revelation 21, heaven comes to earth. The vision of God is not to rescue you out of an earth that will spin into oblivion. The vision of God is to renew creation and for humanity, changed, renewed humanity, to be the crowning jewel of that. And at the head of us will be the Lord. Turn with me to Romans 8. We're all uh, hacking away out here. Romans 8. Romans 8, 18. Now, what's happened to us in the West, everyone say Platonism. One more time, Platonism. Platonism. It's not out. No, I didn't give that to them to put up there. Okay. Romans 8, 18 through 30. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Okay, good, we have it. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. By the way, when we read this stuff, a lot of times we just gloss over this, right? We're like, oh, this is really great. We're talking about life in the Spirit. Our whole body is going to be renewed. This is wonderful. 
the suffering we've had before is nothing compared to our future glory. Oh yeah, by the way, creation's going to be renewed too. Oh yeah, and this is really great, and it's all about me. Hold on! Read that one more time. Against this, verse 20, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We just stop there. I overkilled it to verse 30. Think about that for a minute. This is not only about us. This is the part of the Christian gospel that a lot of times gets lost in the West. Jesus died for my sins. He died for your sins. But he didn't die for your sins so that the two of you could just be buds playing a harp forever. Right. It's a silly picture anyway. In my head, at least for me, I cannot picture myself playing a harp forever. He died to reconcile you to himself so that you can be the people who put creation right. So you can be the people who fill the earth with the glory of God. Now, when I asked you to say Platonism, there was a point to that, I promise. Everyone say it one more time, Platonism. Platonism. One of the important pieces of Platonism is that the spirit or the non-physical is superior to the physical. The physical is kind of, it's just kind of there, we tolerate it. And the spirit is superior. There are, you know, that's a gross generalization. Just work with me, okay? But this kind of thinking is crept into the West little by little by little over time, all right? We do this a lot. We see it reflected a lot. The acquisition of wealth. Still, it's frowned upon in our movies now, right? Anybody who does things just to acquire wealth, they must be terrible. Must be a terrible person. But people who chase knowledge, they're fine. Well, why is one God better than another? So we've done this in our world in the West. As a result, this creeps into the way we look at the end of the world. It creeps in the way we look at Christianity. It creeps in the way we look at people. Your body is not inherently bad. It is corrupted. Mine too. My body will turn on me one day, and I will die. The gospel promises a renewed body. The ancient Hebrews, after the body had been decayed, they would go back to their loved one's tomb, and they would take the bones and put them inside of a box called an ossuary. Everyone say ossuary. One more time, I like that word. And they would take the bones 
and store them against the resurrection. And so the idea was that God had promised that everyone would be raised. And so they wanted their bones to stick around because the Bible teaches that you will be reunited with your body. It will be a much better model. Yeah. Hopefully mine will be a little taller. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But it will be a better model. It will be incorruptible. Right? Through the week, I think part of your uh, spiritual formation sheets, 1 Corinthians 15, a big, long argument about the resurrection and about what that means for us. Paul talks about a lot of this stuff. About what is sown in the ground is corruptible is incorruptible. One of the other things that's been interesting to see is that we automatically think that Okay, when you go out into a graveyard and you look down a tombstone and you'll see lots of, I've gone home. You know what used to be on tombstones and graveyards? I will rise. See, you're not going to stay there. Right. The Bible's attitude is that you're not fully human if you're not spirit and flesh. We're made to be both. We're made to be both so we can reflect the spirit of God. We can reflect the glory of God in his creation. That's what we were made for, right? First thing God tells Adam and Eve is what? Fill. <laughs> that was great. Fill the earth and subdue it. She said put clothes on if you didn't hear it. It was pretty funny. Fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth with the glory of God, with the image of God. So now, I want you to parallel that, all right? Parallel that with me, if you will. I love the Gospels for this reason. With Luke, and Matthew, and Acts, and John, and every single one of those, what does Jesus do? He has this group of people whose lives are now completely changed because of what he's done, and what does he say? Go and fill the earth with the glory of God. New creation. All the rules have changed. All the rules have changed. There is no problem with the physical that we did not create. Your eternal existence will be a physical one as well as a spiritual one. You will be reunited with your body. This, by the way, is why what we do with our bodies matters. The Buddhist monks in Tibet, when one of their own dies, they give his body to the vultures. Why? His body doesn't matter. You ever hear that John Denver song, My Body is Merely the Shell of My Soul? It's not. It's more than that. It's part of you. This is why the Bible says what it says about human sexuality, right? Because we are a marriage of spirit and flesh. What you do with your body matters. So, look, John, why are we talking about this? This is going to happen. Who cares? Look, this does matter, I promise. 
It matters because of what we are called to do. If we think that we're here just so that we could say some words, give some money, come to church on a Sunday, wall ourselves off in a bubble on Facebook away from anyone who doesn't like us or doesn't think like us, and then one day we'll go to heaven when we die, we are kidding ourselves. The gospel is about new creation. Go back to Revelation 21. Now, what, what I find to be really interesting about Revelation 21 is just a little after the new heaven and new earth. Go to verse 9. I'm sorry, Rebecca. I don't think I gave you this one. My bad. Verse 9, Revelation 21. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Okay, now before we continue, who is the bride in the New Testament? The church, right? It's the church. The wife of the Lamb is the church. Okay, so let's keep reading. So he took me to this, by the way, is the church a building? Okay, good, let's keep going. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the church. No, he says he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, Descending out of heaven from God. Let that sink in a minute. Then he goes and like does all the dimensions that are unbelievable. Let that sink in. We are the new Jerusalem. You have been called not just to give money and sit in a pew and mind your business. You've been called to change the world around you. The dimensions the angel lays out are astronomically larger. It's a metaphor to talk about how the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. We will fill the new earth with the glory of God. We're not just on the sidelines. God likes using people, right? If he could do it all himself, he wouldn't have made Adam and Eve. He wanted people involved, still does. That has never changed. That has never been rescinded. The final promise of the scriptures is that the dwelling of God is with men. There's no wall. If you go to Revelation, there's no temple. Do you know why? We are the temple. Jesus came to make the temple that he condemned, that he cleansed in John and in Matthew and in Mark, to make that obsolete and replace it with himself and with his church. So what does this mean for us? Like, John, this is all well and good. This is great. Okay, great. We have a promise. This is what it means for us. Firstly, we have a promise that death does not have the last word. And that's a big one. Because after all, if death does have the last word, what are we doing here? No offense. 
But if death is all there is, what we are doing here is meaningless. It sounds nice. These are some nice things we say to each other. We want to love each other. But you're going to be dead, and you're going to stay that way. If death has the last word, there is no wrong side of history. You're going to be too dead to care what people later think of you anyway. I never did understand that phrase. You're on the wrong side of history. Well, you don't think that there's anything more than your grave, so what do you care? Death does not have the last word. Secondly, you are a part of God's making right with the world. I know that was a very strange sentence. I will rephrase it. You are called to be a part of what God does to make the world right. Now that does not mean that we do it ourselves, right? This is kind of like building something, all right? So we'll take, can I borrow this chair? Forget it. I will just use this instead. (laughs) Chairs are tricky. Only for short people. Okay, so this is not on. It is on. I turned it off. Okay, so someone built this, right? They built the little parts, the little things, something or other. Okay. Now, did that, the person who put it together usually doesn't decide where it goes, right? Somebody else usually does that. Right. We are called to build for the kingdom, but God decides what's to do with the pieces. That's his job. Okay, so you build your little brick, whatever that is in your life, whatever your life looks like, whatever that little thing is, and then you hold it with open hands, and God will do what he does with it. You see, the renewal of heaven and earth, it means that you're not greasing the wheels of a train that's going to go off a cliff and never come back. God's not going to zap the world and be like, okay, we're done now. He says, no, I'm going to renew the world. I'm going to renew humanity because I love it. Because I love humanity. Because I love creation. Every single one of you is called to be putting right people in your life for the people around you. The world around you needs you. It needs you specifically because you carry the Spirit of God. We cannot sit at our chairs, going through Facebook and going through this video or that video, deciding whether or not the Pope is the Antichrist, (laughs) trying to prove that Obama somehow is going to be the man of sin. Right? How many of us have done that? How many of us have watched? You don't have to raise your hand and embarrass yourself. How many of us have watched videos that prove so-and-so is the man of sin, or so-and-so is the Antichrist, or some random guy I don't like today is from Satan, and he's sent here to destroy the world. 
Guess what? They're wrong, I promise. They're wrong, I promise. Do you know why? Jesus says, no one knows the hour. How many of you were alive or conscious for 88 reasons? Jesus will come back in 88. I heard that one from Pastor Dan the other day. It made me laugh pretty hard. That was pretty great. Yeah, that was a real thing. Guy was like, yeah, 88 reasons Jesus will come back in 88. So-and-so said that Jesus is going to come back in 2012, 2011, 2009. Guess what? Someone is going to show up tomorrow or the next day or in a couple months, and he's going to predict Jesus is going to get back in 2027,000. He's wrong. I promise he's wrong. I know he's wrong because Jesus said, no one will say when the kingdom of God comes, there it is, or here it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Get your eyes off the horizon. Go find your neighbor. If you know who the Antichrist is, but you don't know what your neighbor does for a living, you have misunderstood the Bible. You want to be Jesus? Go invade someone's darkness with light. That is what you are. You are called to invade the darkness. So I'm going to challenge you today. <laughs> I love that. I actually wasn't going to say that, except I saw you, and I said, oh, i got to say it now. I'm going to challenge you. I want you to know more about your neighbors than you do about a dispensationalist chart of the end times. If you don't know what that is, ask me, and I will try to explain it with a picture, and that's about all I can do. I want you to know more about your coworkers by the end of this week than you do now. Not because, oh, I want to be a nice person. Who cares if death wins? Nice people and good people and bad people and stupid people and foolish people. Every one of those people dies. Death comes for all of them. Foolish people die faster, right? They do stupid things. But, but they all die. All of them. Someone's thinking of someone foolish. I want you to do it because you are called to do it. Because you have been called to invade someone's darkness with the beautiful light of the gospel. You don't need to preach at them. You don't need to grab them by their shirt. It would be kind of weird. Think about this. When Jesus, Jesus' last activity with the gospel not with the Gospels, with the disciples, right? He wants them to understand what the cross is about. He says, okay, I need a chalkboard, 
We haven't invented those yet. Someone go invent a chalkboard or a flannel graph and we're going to spell it out right here and I'm going to give you exact. No, he ate with them. He had a meal with them. He wanted to change people's lives. He invited himself over to dinner. He's like, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to eat at your house. Then just by hanging out with him, Zacchaeus changed. There is no real end of the world. There's only a change into something new. So I want you to challenge yourselves. Know more about the people you know. Don't worry about people you don't know. Your vote probably doesn't matter. Let's just be honest. And even if it does, that guy will be out of office in four to eight years. Somebody else will come in. Four to eight, not 48, four to eight years. Somebody else will come in and try to do something else and blah, 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 blah. So ultimately, our vote doesn't really matter that much. But you know what does matter? The dinner you bring to your sick neighbor, the prayer you do over your sick neighbor in the hospital, the toy you give to your friend's child who's broke, the coffee you have with a coworker who's going through a divorce or who's almost divorced. Look, that stuff matters. Your vote at the ballot box, go cast it. But remember this. Only you know what you did there. But your coworker, who you talk out of a divorce, that guy will never forget that. Never. So let's put our, put our perspectives where they belong. We want to build for the kingdom now. We want to execute now. We want to do stuff and let God plan where it goes and we move with the Holy Spirit and we reach into people's lives and then we look forward in anticipation to that final consummation when Jesus returns. All right? That is what our eyes should be doing. What can I do now with the Holy Spirit? And oh, I can't wait for that day. That glorious day. Let's pray. Emily, if you want to come forward. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this time. We want to thank you that you have called us to become part of your family. Not as sideliners, but as people who are part of what you're doing in the world. Lord, we know that we're silly folks sometimes, and we do silly things, and God, we pray that you would forgive us because we sometimes are short-sighted and we don't always notice what's important.
Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see the way you see. That you would give us eyes and ears from heaven. That when our coworkers complain or when they talk bad about this or that, that you would give us ears to hear what's really in their heart. That you would give us courage to know that we do have something to offer them. That it is the Spirit of God. God, we want to thank you for the renewal that you are bringing to creation. We thank you for your goodness. And we pray as we go forward that you would be with us. In your name, amen.